Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 19 of the Footy Pod, and we have a wonderful guest on the show today. His name is Aiden Hammond. Aiden and I were teammates at West Texas A&M, and he and I are, are very similar in a lot of ways, and one of those being just he has an immense passion for the game. Uh, he's got a lot of knowledge of the game, and you could just see early on as a player that he would be a coach one day. And, of course, you know, upon graduation, he moved down to Austin, took a job with the Austin Texans Soccer Club, where he got his coaching career off the ground, eventually moved over to Lone Star SC, where he's been the past few years, um, but just recently announced that he was going to step away from coaching. So uh, I'm sure that was a tough decision for him, but he's going to walk us through kind of what led to that decision, what was going on in his head at the time. But uh, he'll also dive deep into, you know, the recruiting process for him going from high school to college. So any high school athletes out there that are looking to make that next step, it'll be very valuable for you. Um, And he'll also just talk about, you know, the things that he learned working under some of the great mentors that he's had and how that helped kind of shape him as a coach. So a really good episode, a lot of good information. You will definitely not be disappointed. So make sure... You listen all the way through, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts if you haven't yet. We just recently got onto Apple Podcasts, so that's awesome. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a nice review, um, and share with your friends. If you like the episode, make sure you share it with someone that you think might get some value out of it. Um, And uh, yeah, so if you have any feedback, make sure you share them with me too. That's how we're going to help to improve the show, and uh, get it in front of more viewers. So, hope you enjoy. Mr. Aiden Hammond, long time, no see, no talk. What's going on, man? How's your life? Hey, uh, we're we're staying busy down in Austin. Um, recently got out of coaching, started doing a more corporate thing, and I've uh, been staying busy, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I just, I, I saw your post recently on social media that you're stepping away, so definitely interested to hear, you know, kind of your perspective on on youth soccer and, and uh, what led you to make that decision, because I know you're super passionate about the game, like, that's one thing that I have a ton of respect for you on is is just, you know, the the amount that you invest into trying to better yourself, you know, first it was as a player, you know, we were teammates at, at West Texas A&M for three years and, you know, maybe we didn't have the best of relationships back then, but I still always had respect for you. Uh, I know you probably got a hard time from a lot of the upperclassmen you first came in, <laughs> but uh, maybe some of that, you know, you brought on yourself, but uh, also yeah, you, no, no doubt. you also, you know, stood up to it, which I think forced people to, to give you that respect. So um, you know, I've always had that respect for you, even though we didn't have the closest of relationships and we haven't really kept too much in touch, even though we're both, you know, very much involved uh, in the youth soccer industry. But uh, I knew you'd be a great guest to have on because um, of the knowledge you have of the game and and just the experiences that you've had coaching so far in, in your life. So why don't we just start, you know, from the beginning? I know you're from Lubbock, you know, out in that West Texas area. What was the soccer scene like? Uh, you know, it was kind of how it is today at times, kind of non-existent. Um, but there's, there's some gems among it. You know, you, you have a, you know, in terms of game, you have a fast paced game because you have some great athletes coming out of the area. Yeah. Um, and so, 
in general, like we started traveling to Dallas when I was in middle school to play um, in more competitive leagues and kind of develop a bit more for, for what we wanted. Um, and now they're still doing the same things. They're going to Albuquerque, Dallas, a couple other different areas um, to try and get, you know, more competitive games to, to, to better the scene there. Same guys that work in now that were when I was playing. Um, they've done a great job to, to kind of further it. You know, more college athletes are coming out of it, um, which is great, man. You know, it's a, it's not the easiest place. You know, don't have a lot of resources um, in that area, but but people are, are pushing in the right direction. And it always helps that the women's women's program at Texas Tech as well is uh, very successful. So That's it's, true, yeah. It's taking many, steps in the right, right direction. How many youth clubs are there in Lubbock? Oh, man. Um, when I was growing up, I think there was, you know, attempts at, you know, maybe two or three at once, and then it kind of windled down to one. And then now I think it's in the two or three range again. So it just kind of depends. Um, you know, some are coached by guys who have had good playing experience. Some are coached by, you know, parents who, you know, want more for their kid and maybe are trying to learn a bit more. So I'd probably say there's about two or three right now, but the bulk of them are kind of paired with, uh, I think it's FC Dallas, FC Dallas, West Texas. So. So probably very similar to what the scene is like in Amarillo. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably say that they're very closely related. Um, you probably get, you know, due to Lubbock being more centrally located in, in terms of West Texas, you get a couple kids from Midland, a couple kids from, you know, maybe Amarillo that they come around. But in general, those two, all those teams in those areas are uh, well connected, right? They play each other in high school regularly. They, you know, see each other at tournaments and things like that. Coaches know each other, so. Um, yeah, very similar scenes between Midland, Amarillo, Lubbock, you know, Odessa, the whole, the whole area, and then some of the surrounding cities. Gotcha. Yeah, I know there, I mean, there's obviously some good players that come out of those areas, you know, like, uh, just whenever I came from Dallas up to Amarillo for the first time, you know, there's a bunch of players in the Amarillo area that don't play at all. Like, you know, they played in high school, they played club or whatever. Um, but you know, a lot of them could have continued to play at a higher level, but just didn't for whatever reason. Um, and, and, you know, I think that, uh, that was maybe due to the lack of opportunity, like at the youth level, maybe they didn't think that there was really, uh, uh, any doors, you know, available for them to, to open up and continue playing. Do you think that's, mm-hmm. that's accurate? Uh, I think there's, there's a lot to it. Um, I think that's what you said. I think is absolutely correct. You know, it's ed- education, right? Um, in the sense that uh, people don't understand some of the processes that goes into being recruited. The other thing is these West Texas cities are relatively isolated. Um, you know, can you think of what's, I mean, the closest big university is SMU, right? For yeah. men's soccer specifically. Um, and that's in Dallas. It's five hours away. Well, yeah. I mean, they're not going to come watch a West Texas team where they can watch FC Dallas. You know what I mean? So like there's, there's always been talent. um, But just sometimes the talent didn't have the right pathway to pursue more within the career. And like like you said, I I completely agree. There was a lot of good players out of specifically in Amarillo. Um, There there was a a good bulk of players that could have gone and done more with soccer. Had they, had they maybe been shown a little sooner or had a, had a greater idea or even, you know, just in general had a, you know, hate to say it, but more money. Um, yeah. So there's there's some sacrifices that were made in that sense, but I think in general it's all headed in the right direction. There's a lot of you know good good players. The coach I, you know that works out of Amarillo, Logan Tiffany had about half his boys from his senior team commit to play college, which is you know a great return for one senior team. That's amazing. So it's it's going in the right direction. So it's um yeah you know still still 
still building, but yeah. it's getting there. Yeah, and and with the pro indoor team popping up, and just you know the growth of of West Texas A and M, the the whole athletic department, I think that's mm-hmm. going to continue to to move forward. But you brought up the point of you know the financial um, restraints that a lot of them face, and and that's definitely real because you know the fact that you guys aren't able to find quality competition, you know, consistently to play in the West Texas area having to travel to Dallas for classic league. I mean, that takes a toll, you know, you having to go travel six hours on the weekend, you know, spend your whole weekend there, maybe play two or three games and have to travel back and then go to school on a Monday. You know, that's not really feasible for a lot of people. Do you think that that held a lot of people back from, from playing club even? Uh, I think to an extent. Yeah. Um, I think it would help people back is maybe from pursuing more. Um, you know, like, I think it's really hard just in general, like you and I both work in big cities and I'm sure, you know, you've seen experiences where, you know, kids get to a certain age in high school and they're, they, you know, they don't want to forgo their social life for soccer. Yeah. Um, you know, like it wasn't ever a problem for me. I was always very interested in soccer. I would, you know, like I said, I had no problem going to Dallas. I enjoyed it. Right. But, you know, for a lot of kids, these social aspects are, are really starting to mean a lot more. Um, and so I think it, it definitely affects had some effect on some people. Um, but in general, you know, like I said, finances really came up a lot. We, we did a lot of group stuff, you know, people travel together, we carpool together all the time. Um, so we found ways to share the burden, but the end goal was always the same. Some had higher aspirations than others, but uh, in general, I think, yeah, you know, there's, there's definitely things growing up that play big factors, sacrificing your weekends for parents and kids. Yeah. You know, it's not, not necessarily the best, but, you know, I was lucky enough to have parents that kind of put my needs first. Um, and, and, you know, I'm really grateful for that because it opened a lot of doors for myself later on. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously, like with the, the area that you guys are in, the sacrifices maybe that, that kids had to make were a lot bigger than kids here. Right. Like it's a 20 minute trip down the road to go to to Richland or to MoneyGram or Pizza Hut Park or now Toyota Stadium for classic league games or whatever. So, you know, that's, that's much less of a sacrifice that players would have to make uh, on the weekends. Whereas, you know, you guys, I mean, you pretty much have to forego your entire social life during soccer season. You're not going to be able to do anything on the weekends with friends. So, you know, I, I could definitely imagine why that would get in the way of some people going all in and making the full commitment. And obviously like, you know, with people like you who, knew what you wanted to do I mean it was a no-brainer but with a lot of kids growing up it's there's just there's just so so many things that you can be involved in that's uh Mm -hmm. you know if there's any kind of distraction it's 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 gonna get in the way yeah no definitely um I mean you you know one of the bigger things was like I, I think I remember I missed I missed prom one year I got invited to prom and I missed to go to a showcase instead um and like to me it was a no-brainer you yeah know? I, I missed my my sister's high school graduation for state cup uh like, and, so i mean and to me like you tell me that it doesn't even seem that weird because i probably would make the exact same decision you know what i mean yeah um I, I was always yeah i remember the conversation i had with my sister about just i can't believe you didn't come i was like i mean you're gonna graduate in college yeah like, I'll, I'll see one you know, is this really that big of a deal? Yeah. Like it, you made it pretty easily. Yeah, you can show me um, the pictures later. 
but yeah no and definitely and i remember i always had friends like hey why don't you just like stay home this weekend i'm just like you know i'd rather like go and be challenged um for once because you know what i what what i had sometimes in training maybe or or even in high school like it just wasn't you know it wasn't enough like it and it, like it didn't fill me up do you know what mm -hmm. i mean um in terms of like I, I just wanted more i wanted wanted to play someone better than myself more regularly or, or be challenged just pushed a bit harder um you know i had some good teammates you know, in, in, in clubs specifically, um, who, who really pushed me to the limits, um, but in kind of different, different ways than maybe, uh, you know, you know, so kids out of Dallas would. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, like I said, no brainer for me. I had zero problem getting going. It's just, uh, yeah, that drive was killer though. Sometimes. What age did you first touch a soccer ball? When, when, when was that moment where you're like, all right, I, I really like this. Like, I want to start pursuing this. Oh, I started playing three or four, um, so that's I from there I just kind of ran with it I don't I never played any any other sports um like I didn't I think I did you know a stint in football for you know one year my freshman year of high school and caught a pass across the middle and got absolutely annihilated yeah. and I was like yeah that'll do it I'm good yeah um got a lot of respect for those guys for sure um and that and, you know did track because I could run cross country but other than that like I just I just did soccer I was never really interested in anything else like me and my brother would dabble in other sports in our driveway but you know, he, he was more the, the all, all purpose athlete. And I just, I preferred to play soccer. That was, that was where I was going to, you know, stick the majority of my efforts into being good at. Yeah. Um, so it, it, yeah, you know, I'd never, you know, from four on, it was, I only had eyes for a soccer ball. Love it. Love it. What age did you start playing competitively? Like where you were on an organized, you know, club team? Oof. Um, so let's see in, in 2001, I had just begun basically like the trial tryout sequence um, for a club in Massachusetts called Seacoast United. Um, later on, my age group would go on to win a national championship. I found out not too long ago, a couple of the guys I knew. Um, I didn't know you. And so around. Yeah, no, I lived there for uh, an early, just early part of my life from about two to nine or 10. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, I was going to, going to join up with Seacoast and then I ended up moving to Lubbock because my, uh, my old man got a job at Texas Tech. Uh, it was a good gig for him, and he's from Lubbock originally. Um, so it was a, yeah, move, move then. And then, yeah, right around 10, 10, 11 is when I got into a more competitive scene. Um, yeah. So by the time you had moved to Lubbock, you had already played competitively. And, and you know, at that point, like, how long did it take you to find a, a good team to settle in with? Oof. Um, you know, goods, goods, a relative term, yeah. I, I guess, like in terms of the first two teams I played on in Lubbock, um, I didn't get along with a couple of the kids I played with, um, simply because just like maturity levels, not that I was the most mature, but like, I was very into what I was doing. Um, and other people had other aspects. And when I was young, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And, um, so I kind of got picked on a little bit because I was just like, yeah, like, no, I don't want to do this. I just want to, just want to play and things like that. So up until probably I was in seventh or eighth grade, eighth grade was probably the first team I got on. That was, you know, I had a coach who, who I thought was really knowledgeable, um, and, and took a, an interest in what I was doing specifically, which made me feel really good. Um, and the team I had around me, there were, you know, four or five players who were probably, you know, in my, my opinion at the time, as good as me. Um, 
And so that's where I probably started seeing the most growth. Um, and that's when I started traveling to Dallas as well. Nice. Nice. So you went to, uh, you, you know, you played through high school and then what was like kind of the recruiting process for you going into college? Um, wow. <laughs> so I was one of those kids who they're, they're all very common now. Um, everyone thinks they're going to a big division one university. Yeah. Um, and I had gone to several showcases. I guess played with several teams at you know some some big tournaments, you know Surf Cup, Disney Showcase, and and I did a lot of that stuff. And I had gotten on the radar of some good schools um, through word of mouth from from coaching references. Um, so like at one point, you know I was talking to SMU, UNM, and UConn and Tulsa, and like that was, you know that was the gist of it. They knew who I was. They said they were monitoring me, and then. Uh, moving into my junior year, senior year, um, probably that summer, I got cut from all of them in the space of a week. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a, that was a hard time, but all for the same reason. Um, which, looking back, like you know, I I can see it. Um, but it was it was a physicality reason. I was very small. Yeah. Um, I was about a hundred. I mean, I got to West Texas A and M. I was weighing about one hundred and forty three pounds, and I was five ten. Yeah. Um, you know, so. I grew up playing in central midfield and for, for division one soccer, um, there's a physical requirement that I couldn't hit at that time. Um, so it was too small and wasn't quick enough, um, which was a reality uh, looking back, but it was very hard to accept. Um, and so from there I went and trialed at several different division two schools, um, Midwestern, West Texas A&M, Lubbock Christian obviously was in Lubbock, uh, UTPB, um, Tammy U. There's there's a lot of different ones, and I got offered spots at uh, all of them. Um, the Midwestern one came back late. By that time, I had already committed to WT because uh, good old Butch Lawford had seen me play all through high school, and he liked me. So uh, kind of came in at the last second. That was a uh, signing day was February sixth, and I officially committed February fourth. Um, and I had no idea West Texas A&M was there. Yeah. Had zero clue until I got there um, for a trial mm. that it was there. And I didn't realize how successful of a program it was. So it was, um, you know, for me, I was really excited to go into a program that, you know, had, had been in positions where they you know, had maybe missed out on Elite Eights, Final Fours, and were interested in getting national championships because I knew that the players that were going to be there, I was going to be pushed. Um and I really wanted to be part of a successful team. For sure. Yeah. And just like the amount of international players there were and, and what you could learn from them was, for me at least, like something that was very attractive for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, looking back like to the beginning of your recruiting process, I think this is something that, that maybe you can touch on. I'm not sure, you know, how your story uh, – well, obviously you can tell us about it now, but, you know, a lot of kids like – maybe they're 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 not at the top of the list for a lot of schools and um and rather than like pushing themselves and and doing the work to get their own name out there they just kind of like let things go by and however it plays out is how it plays out mm -hmm. so, were you mm -hmm. more active in in getting in in putting yourself out there or mm -hmm. how how did that how did that go for you uh, going into my junior year, I'd already gone to a couple uh, like showcase camps. Um, I used to spend about at least three to four hours a week sending emails to universities mm. um, within the region that I was interested in. Um, and when they wouldn't get back, I'd basically spam the same letter. Um, when I had 
you know, more info about my grades. I always updated the coach. Um, you know, I was probably fortunate on the end that like I got a decent amount of responses um, just because I had gone to these camps and I luckily played well um, or had been given a, a good team to play with. And so it made me look better. And so I got a decent amount of responses, but for the schools that wouldn't reach back out to me, you know, like the, you know, the Stanford's or the, you know, the schools that I had academically no business going to, like, I still, still sent them information because you don't, you know, right now there's tracking software. You can see who reads your emails and things like that, but there's no way of, of, you know, knowing whether they read it or not back then. And so I used to send it assuming they would read it. And so I updated them regularly and I went through the process. Um, and when I was old enough, I would schedule campus visits. And when I did, I, I emailed the coach and said, Hey, can I talk to you? Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's very important not to be discouraged, right? Because there's, you are one of 250 kids, you know, at least emailing this coach. Um, so it's, it's really important that you stay busy, um, stay on top of it, do your research early. Um, and the hardest part is, you know, getting ahead of yourself and starting to think about what you want to do with your life, so to speak, where you'd like to go to school, where you'd like to live. Um, but again, like I was always very forward thinking in the sense, like, this is what I was going to do you know, for myself. And I'm sure lots of guys had the same ambition. Like I wanted to play professionally. So I wanted to go to a university that would help me yeah. do that. And so those are the universities I targeted. And when they didn't come through, then, you know, I keep my options open for what came next. And so luckily I wound up at a university with a coach who was really well connected, but you know, the only thing that wasn't in my cards was that I just probably didn't meet the standard, which is yeah, fine. Yeah. And obviously like what you do on the pitch is the most important thing, you know, any videos you have Absolutely. to send the coach and, and, you know, any showcases that they're able to come watch you or, or you know, uh, invitational tryouts that they invite you to, like, things like that mm -hmm. is is ultimately what is going to get you in the door somewhere. But at the same time, mm -hmm. if you're not proactive and persistent in, in communicating with these coaches and following up with these coaches, they might forget about you, even if you balled out, you know what I mean? So... Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something that a lot of kids, you know, now need to understand is if they really want something, they got they got to go make it happen for themselves. Like no one's going to do it for mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, it is naive to think that I'll play really well. Coaches will come and they'll want. Right. Like that's not how it works. Like it, it requires just think of it like a job interview. You know, it's not you just turn in a paper and people say, yeah, we'll hire the guy. Right. They interview you. They look at you um they'll ask about you they'll check your references like the amount of times like i was lucky enough to work with st edwards this past year and a half um and just on a volunteer basis but just going through the recruiting process and talking to these kids and and you know i was connected with the club so they asked me questions about the lone star kids all the time like what do you think of this kid like hey i think he's a good kid i think he's a bit rash when he gets upset yeah i think he makes poor decisions when he's when he's flustered right those are things that coaches ask like okay but what's he like off the field great young man right so it's really important that like you understand moving forward that you have to be a complete package to get, you know, if you're wanting a scholarship, you have to have good grades, right? You have to be a good person. You know, th there's all, all sorts of things that come into it. It's not just, I played well, they'll take me. It doesn't work like that. People aren't like, if you think about it this way, they're basically giving you money. I'm going to invest in you and your education. And I'm going to count on the fact that you are not going to do something stupid, right? You're not going to get involved, which is, you know, realistically, if you look at a college student, like you're asking for trouble, right. but you're not, you're not going to get involved with drugs. You're not going to get arrested. You're not going to fail out of school. Right. Like 
all these things, you know, have to be checked off before someone says, Hey, here's my money. It's not just, Oh, he plays good. I'll take him. That's not how it works. Yeah. So it's, it's very important to be a, a complete package. Yeah. Very rarely does someone just take a player based on talent alone. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. can't even think of a, a situation where that would happen. Like you want someone that, that is going to represent what you're doing, your program, your club, whatever it is you're involved in to the highest standard. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all. Yeah. what people are looking for that's ultimately what you know uh leads to success in all of life you know not just sport but mm-hmm. those standards are are to be expected in anything that you do mm-hmm. absolutely absolutely I don't, I don't know any college program that sets out with the goal of losing yeah you know like everyone everyone has it like i want to win conference i want to win a regional title i want to win a national championship right like everyone has you know goals that are set to, to push the program forward. So if if you think the idea that, oh, he's a good player, he'll push the program forward, you know, program moves forward in several ways, right? Gets more money because the students are better on the team. Um, they have success on the pitch. Yes, that's important. But graduation rates are very important at universities. You know, the team GPA, very important, right? The amount of money that, that realistically, the amount of money kids bring into the team, right? Whether it's investors or families, things like that. Like that's that's just a reality. That's it's it's important, right? Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about your time at WT. I want to hear like from your perspective, kind of about your experience, you know, through through your three, four years there. Um you know, I think in, in general, um I, I first of all I, I loved all four years I had there. Um you know, the I, the, the people that I met, the team that I played with you know, training and things like that. You know, I was probably one of the few players that looked forward to training every day just because, like, I, I was just, just playing at a high level made me happy. Yeah. Um, you know, my freshman year was probably by far my, my best year, which doesn't bode well hmm. um, in the sense that uh, I felt the, the coaching staff and, and even some of the, the higher higher level players invested a lot of time in me because they saw a lot of potential. Um, and I started to kind of get ahead of myself at that point. And then uh, I, I kind of developed, uh, after my sophomore year, kind of a performance anxiety. Uh, so I was always terrified of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came around because uh, my playing time became more limited because I was probably a different type of player than what they wanted. Um, like, I, I felt I was very creative, um, very interested in, in running at players and dribbling and things like that. And it didn't fit the mold for what they wanted. Um, my freshman year, we played a certain way that, that allowed me to be a bit more um, expressive in the way I played. Um, and then after that, things changed. And, you know, I, I struggled to adapt to that. Uh, in general, I thought, you know, my head coach at the time, you know, my freshman year had, had a lot of interest in me. And after that, you know, I played a couple bad games and, you know, he kind of saw no need for me anymore and thought thought he'd probably seen the best of me. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, you know, a testament to myself is that towards the end of every single year, I began playing more um, because I was reliable in the sense that he knew what he'd get out of me. Um, and that happened every year, my sophomore, junior, senior year, the last eight to 10 games of the season, I was always back in and around it. Um, and so, you know, I got to see, I think what, what a lot of people don't, or a lot of maybe guys don't realize when they're then is that, or when they're that age is that. I was playing with players who were better than me. Yeah. Um, and, and I realized it, um, you know, I always wanted to play centrally, but the reality was, is, is there were players who were more capable physically had just as good technical ability, you know, maybe my IQ might've been better, 
Um, but then they were willing to do things that I wasn't, whether it be the dirty side of the game. That's not my favorite. There's no doubt about it. Um, and just in general, just several other things that, you know, I, I failed to do. And, and that's a reality. And I was totally fine with it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think uh, looking back, you know, I, I think a lot of people in my situation probably would have transferred. Um, but I was very happy to stay because I believed in what I was contributing to um, in training and everything else on games when I could. And so um, I think, you know, it's a big testament that, you know, I, I still talk to friends today that they say, you know, man, hey, man, we thought you should have played more. Uh, I appreciate that. That stings. But at the end of the day, man, like I made the decisions I did because I love my teammates. You know, I love my university that I was at. I love playing. I love the program. Um, and I probably wouldn't change that uh, moving forward whatsoever. Um, but I do wish I would have done more with myself. That's for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, the the team overall was just – unbelievable like the level of talent that there was in that group from top to bottom I mean there's no shame in not being able to break into that team by any means so you know just the fact that I mean you were able to like keep fighting and and just keep working and keep coming to training with that same enthusiasm and and just you know making the most of every opportunity that you got like says a lot about you and your character um, and you know, that, that has also, I would imagine translated into, uh, your style as a coach as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, I think, I think there's never a training session wasted, um, as long as you put forth the effort, um, and the energy to, to kind of develop, there's always something you get out of it. Uh, I think for sure my, my style in general of a, as a coach and really as a player is, I was very spiteful. Um, so if like, uh, how can I put this? If basically if someone was having a good day, I wanted to make them. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I knew. I would you know, say I, as, a, as a youth player. Spiteful is the right word. You're competitive. You yeah. wanted to compete with them. You yeah. wanted to, you wanted to, you wanted to, you know, if they had a good session, you wanted to have a better session, right? Like that's, that's, Sure. Yeah, that drive is is important to be successful in anything. Yeah, no, for sure. I always wanted to be. Um, I think I think part of it was because I I I, I was seeking praise a lot, always seeking mm. praise. Um, I wanted them to be happy with what I was with the output I was getting. Um, and when I didn't get it, even though I thought I'd done something well, you know, I I would then work even harder to try and get it. Um, but you know that same competitive drive eventually turned into, you know, me not being you know, me being overly self-conscious of my performance. And then what it really, ha- really affected was I started to worry about other people instead of myself. Gotcha. Um, so as a, as a player, you know, there's, there's levels to it um, for sure. And moving forward, I think, you know, as a coach, I always try and kind of nip things like that in the bud. Whenever I hear players make comments about others, about he's not doing this, it's like, you need to worry about yourself and I'll worry about everyone else. Right. Um, because at the end of the day, like you can only control yourself and your own actions, your own reactions. Um, and that's, that's something I, I, I would preach regularly. Um, I will, I, if anyone is going to have, you know, a poor reaction, it should be, you know, myself to an extent, like, yeah. but having players on the field who can't keep their head, it, you know, is, you know, not ideal for, for my situation and things like that. But um, yeah, no, it's definitely, definitely affected my coaching and, and especially with the younger players um, because it's, you know, in those ages we're, we're habit forming um, and you want them to have good training habits. If they don't love training, and it's going to be hard for them moving forward. So you have to make sure that 
you know, we're, we're setting those kind of habits in place moving forward. Definitely, man. And just hearing you kind of, you know, articulate your, your feelings and like, you know, what was going on in your head during that time um, to me hits home because I think our experiences were very similar in that regard. And just the way, Mm -hmm. you know, just my attitude too, like, you know, I felt I could have done more, but was very frustrated with lack of opportunity. And that just, it, 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 you know, it built up a, a bad, just energy in, inside of me, you know, and, and it made me, uh, kind of like my passion for the game diminished because of it. And once I realized Mm -hmm. that that was happening, I was like, all right, you know, it's kind of too late for me now, but I'm going to do something to change this for future players coming up. And that was kind of what sparked mm-hmm. my interest in eventually wanting to become a coach. When was it that you felt like you're going to eventually become a coach after college? Oof. Um, I would probably say after, after my sophomore or junior year of college, I, I kind of stopped having dreams about playing actually. And they were more, more geared towards coaching and instructing. Um, and I would look at training sessions when I was in them and my initial thought always became, how can I break the drill? Um, how can I break the session? Um, and simply because, right, how can I basically find a way around things? And so what I, what I took that as, you know, later on was just like, I was trying to think of all possible different scenarios that what we were training at wouldn't work. Um, and that's when I realized that, like, that's a, that's a coach's brain, right? Like, here's, here's our setup. Here's how it's broken down. Here's how we adjust. And that's, and I really started to see an improvement actually in how I played um, because that's, that's when it really began because I was thinking of three different things at once versus just the one thing that was in front of me. Um, And, and I think that that was probably around the time where maybe I wasn't starting to play and I knew I wouldn't probably have a career after college in in playing. Um, And soccer was all I ever really wanted to do. Um, And so I, I I wanted to continue coaching. Um, I will say that my freshman year, I worked camp at West Texas A&M all summer. Uh, and I had started to see kind of glimpses of what it was like to be a coach working with younger kids specifically. And I got to actually know a, a good buddy of mine, uh, Wes Stevers, who's alumni and he's now the girls DA director or what, you know, formerly DA as obviously there's no DA anymore. Right. Um, director at Lone Star. Um, and, and I spoke with him quite a lot about being a coach and it was, I guess, you know, I found out later that Butch, Butch thought specifically that I would be a very good coach. Nice. That's very good. So, after you know you graduated you moved straight to austin right yes yeah so wes uh you know like i said i think it's it's really important to be well connected in in the soccer community for sure um wes i was fortunate enough to meet wes and he liked me enough um and offered me a job down in austin um and and i moved down here pretty quickly took on a team and did basically it was 12 sessions a week um and and train basically every team in the club at least once a week um, as a third session right. um, just to kind of get my my legs under me and, and meet all the players and things like that so that was that was a lot of fun so just, um, that was looking back I learned a lot so he just kind of took you under his wing and was, and you know just gave you the freedom to 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 learn and grow at your own pace he was uh he was definitely I wouldn't say t- took me under his wing um, he was definitely one of the first ones that that told me he believed I would be good. Um, 
he introduced me to one of my other mentors, Jose Reyes, um, who was the ECNL director at the Houston Texans, as well as the boys director of coaching at the club that I joined when I first moved here. Um, and they both played a big part in me moving forward. Wes, two months after I got there, had accepted the role at Lone Star as the ECNL girls ECNL mm. director. So he was, you know, at that point, it was basically like, you know, Wes was gone. He did a, he did try and try and bring me with him. Like he, he, he always, I'll give credit to Wes for that. Like he's a, he's a very trustworthy guy in my opinion. Um, good, good man. Um, and he always tried to look out for me in, in the essence, cause I think he, he brought me down and, and he wanted to take care of me. So I got, I got a lot of time for Wes, but he was always a, a constant, uh, you know, mentor to myself and, and someone who invested a lot of energy and, and would help me and answered questions when I had it as well as uh, Jose Reyes. So I, I got, I was, I was lucky to have those two guys specifically. Um, at the beginning of my coaching career to teach me a lot as well as um, really how to, how to behave um, in, in South Texas. And, and it, you know, I, I, I would not have been in the positions I was or had the success I did without those two specifically. Yeah, well, that's great. And, and you know, it's definitely lucky to be able to have great mentors. And if you don't have great mentors, like you got to seek them out. But it's also, you mm-hmm. know, a testament to you in just the fact that you were open to it. Right. And, and, you know, a a lot of people like, you know, they think they know everything and they're not willing to like, you know, ask questions and and learn from people and watch and observe. And, you know, so it's important that, that not only are you, you know, do you have mentors accessible to you, but that you're also willing to listen to them, you know? Well, I think it's I think it's really important to understand that soccer in general, there is no right formula, um, and and it's it's all a matter of beliefs. Um, you know, we all have a an idea of what the better way to develop a player is, right? Like I think I think that's a fairly constant thing, specifically at the younger ages. But as you get older, as the players get older, right? Like I mean, look at the professional game. Sometimes the better team doesn't win. Sometimes the team without the ball doesn't win. Right? Even the team with the better chances can get sucker punched. And so what those guys taught me a lot of the time is um, it's very important that, that your, your craft is perfected in regards to training. Like you have to have good training if you want that training to translate to games, but you also can't lose sight of, you know, the objective of soccer of soccer is to win. And so how can you find different ways of doing that either within the way you train um, or within the moment of the games? Um, my in-game, you know, uh, knowledge was really good. Um, at, at a young age, like I could see things pretty quickly when you go from college to, to use soccer, there's obviously a drastic drop off. So it becomes easier to see, but some of the changes maybe that I wanted to make in the higher level games with the higher level teams I had weren't feasible looking back now, because I was asking to change too much in the middle mm-hmm. of the game and it just wouldn't work. Um, and so it's, I think it's really important that when you have mentors is, is, you know, it's, it's important that they identify your weaknesses and so sometimes I was too hasty to change things. Sometimes I didn't go over topics enough in training to make sure that they were ready for the weekend. And so that's what those two specifically, you know, kind of hammered into me is that make sure you, you, you have to plan, 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 stretch things out. Um, and, you know, they made me make a year long curriculum. They made me, you know, submit sessions for three months ahead of time for when a team came back from high school so they could have a good run in that state cup. And those things, you know, I was pissed off then. Um, because I was just like, they don't trust me. But the reality was, is they were trying to get me ready for what's to come because I was going to come up against coaches like them. And I had to be ready for those things. And and luckily, you know, I, I did 
you know, I threw a fit because I was a child, uh, but, um, you know, in, in the long run, it, you know, I benefited massively from it. And had I not done it, I would not, again, I would not have been as half decent a coach as, as I, I might've been in other people's eyes because yeah. of it. So I love it, man. I love it. I know that you continued playing, you know, after you moved to Austin, uh, you're playing for some indoor teams, correct? Yeah, no, I, I was a uh, level or whatever. Yeah, man. Like, I mean, like, like every single one of us, you know, when we get done, you know, we still have the itch to play. I still yeah. have it now. Um, like I want to play at a, with good players as high level as possible. I'm still very critical of like my men's league yeah. teammates who, who should probably say very mean things to myself. <laughs> um, but I, I still crave playing at a high level. Um, unfortunately, my, my body doesn't move like right. it used to because that's how time man. works. But uh, yeah, man, oh, I would, I would love it. I would love do, it again. Do you feel could. like, you know, after becoming a full-time coach that your abilities as a player improved? Uh, significantly. Yeah. Significantly. Um, it's it's actually kind of embarrassing <laughs> um, because, like, I, I, we always used to joke, like, some of the coaches around who maybe we didn't play at, like, bigger division one, like the Dukes, the SMUs, the things like that. But we would joke around like, man, if, if I knew what I did now when I was 18, yeah, I'd play D1. Like, no doubt. Or, hey, I'd be playing pro. Um, and so it's just what it does is just think about being given a cheat sheet before a test, right? And understanding, you know, basically all all the right – knowing all the right answers. Um, and like, this is my reaction when this happens. This is where I need to be. This is how I maintain balance. This is the moment that I choose to go forward. Um, here's when I drive with the ball. Things like that. Um and not only that, but my ability to communicate it moving forward, yeah. right? And, and, and you know, really about – I think the big thing was managing space well and so that I didn't put myself in an island um, at times and, and things like that. And it, it definitely changed the way I played. Um, and, and I saw the game significantly slower um, than – or sorry, I mean, it, it moves slower in my head now because of, uh, because of all the, the knowledge I gained right. from coaching and seeing things from a bigger view. Um, so it definitely, definitely makes you a significantly better player. Um, you, you know, the technique and stuff might still be lacking, which is you know, definitely the case for myself. But um, in terms of being in the right areas and knowing what it should look like, you know, my, you know, significantly improved. It's just a game of chess, man. And it's just like the more games you get, <laughs> the better you get. And that's all that it comes down to is just that's, experience, you know. So yeah. like, you know, how, yeah. how old are you now? You're 27, right? 28, 28 okay. yeah. Cause I know you, you came in the year after me, but man, just thinking about like when I came into WT as an 18 year old, I was playing against players that are my age now, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's crazy to me. Like if I were to go back and play college now, it'd be, it'd be simple. Like, you know, it, it I, I, mm -hmm. I see why they were so much more developed than I was at that time, you know? So, so mm -hmm. it, it, it is, it is, you know, cool to go back and, and see it from a different perspective, but you can't, you can't say, you know, if, if I would have known this, then this would have happened. There's just too many variables and factors that go into play. All you got to do is just go day by day and, 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 and take, you know, what you're given and continue to, to build upon it. Cause I mean, no one can go back in time. So, you know, just, take your experiences from the past and use it to fuel who you are now. 
Yeah, no, I think I think it's um, very important. I mean, it took me a little bit as well to just to move move past it all because I was still, you know, slightly bitter because I wanted more for myself. But at the end of the day, like the the situations I was put in, you know, allowed me to do more with my yeah. life um, in regards to coaching and things like that. And so it's you can't get hung up with with what was. You can only deal with what is. Um, and it's important that you you really again, like you said, take it day by day and just move forward with things. Um, the more you dwell on the past, you know the less of a grasp on your, on your present and future that you'll have. So I think it's really important that, you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, always, obviously hope for the best and work for the best, but at the end of the day, sometimes that doesn't happen and you have to be able to yep. deal with it and make the most out of Definitely. it. Definitely. So I'm interested to kind of hear more about your coaching philosophy, you know, training and, and, and just like the ideas you were trying to instill into your team. Cause that's something that we've never really even talked about. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it just kind of kind of depends. Like I, I really, um, my favorite age groups to work with are the 13s and 14s, um, simply because it's everything is new, um, and so they're teenagers and their their bodies are starting to do, um, you know, different things. They're they're maybe more explosive or some are more talented, and, and finding ways to bridge the gap between those players and the players who maybe haven't developed physically yet is always really fun for me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's stay at whole foods market um but then the big thing is obviously you're introducing 11 aside concepts um and i think that's you know depending on the coach they had at 9v9 or i think it was 8v8 for a little while as well you know those concepts are exciting for them and everyone wants to get on a big field right and so um in general you know i I think philosophy is kind of a loose term in general i prefer my teams to um, be di- very dynamic um, in the sense that the, their approach can change. We could be really direct. We could be, and by direct, I mean, you know, balls through the air, balls in behind. We could play forward every other pass. Um, or we could be a team that relies heavily on movement off the ball. Um, but I, I think one of the big things, you know, just because of the player I was, I, I never shy away from individual skill. Um, like if you have an opportunity to beat someone, as long as it's in the right area at the right time, yeah. do it. Just do the thing, um, you know, and then in terms of, you know, sometimes I think it's I think it's important. Versatility is really important in the way you play because you have to you have to be able to take what the team will give you. If a team's playing a high line, then we'll put it in behind them. If they're playing really deep, then we'll play in wide areas. Um, if they're pressing us very high, maybe we shouldn't play out of the back this time. And maybe we should work on winning the second ball. And so it's, you know, I think I would do my my training a lot in, in spurts, three month waves. Um we'll train at, at this style of playing this time. But once we, you know, I, I'd structure it. So once we were getting towards the business part of the season that we were working on um, more defensive concepts and structure. Um, so that way, when it came to, you know, the undoubted, you know, experience of playing a team that was better than us, that we were ready um, and, and organized and, and focused in that sense and had enough repetition playing the other ways that, that we could, you know, kind of integrate everything in once in one when we need it. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you truly want to prepare players to play at the highest level, they have to be comfortable playing in different ways. You want situational players that, you know, can, can uh, uh, see what's around them, assess the scenario, 
mm-hmm. and make the right decision based on what they see, right? Like, you know, they're never going to see right. the same situation. So, and also they're not always going to have coaches that see the game the same way. So the more, mm-hmm. uh, the, the more diverse, you know, education that you can provide them, the more prepared they're going to be when they, when they continue to advance to higher levels. Without a shadow of a doubt. I think that's such a, a massive and underrated part. Um, I told all the, all the teams that I, I thought were at a high enough level um, that, you know, I want to get to the point where in the season I shouldn't have to coach you. You can coach yeah. yourselves. Um, and while I, I don't mean general, like, like I can always talk, uh, talk about tweaks or, hey, maybe we could have done this differently. But in the flow of the game, like, can you make an effective decision? Like, do you understand, like, hey, my teammate's been beat twice down the line. I need to put myself in a better position as a center back to cover him so I can yeah. deal with it, right? Hey, this kid has burned both of us twice, so maybe we need to double up on him and get a bit closer as center backs. In midfield, right? Hey, I've left this space twice. They've gotten in each time. I need to make sure I drop in two yards, maybe shift to the right so I make sure I cover the vertical middle, right? Bring my wide player in to help myself. Can they see things like that? Um, and that's really what we work towards you know, at the first first half of the season. And then usually, you know, the, the, the times where I start to not coach are in, in January in those preseason tournaments for the spring. So that way I can see, hey, how much have they learned or maybe what do I need to go back and, and go over yeah. again. Um, and, and luckily enough, like I've had, I've been been fortunate to have been given kids who are already fairly capable, um, in, but more importantly, who are clever kids, smart. Uh, parents were great. You know, after, after a while were really great. Gave me a lot of... Uh, you know, leeway with the kids and what I felt was best for them. And then the kids really committed to it. And so I've had, I've had some good teams. Um, I've also had my share of teams that, you know, they just didn't mesh well. Maybe I didn't have good enough players or I didn't do enough for them, which was probably the biggest part. Um, but all those experiences in general helped kind of mold what I, what I believe to be correct moving forward. And, and it proved to pay, you know, dividends, not, not as much as I maybe wanted um, as a competitor, but you know, the, the kids turned out, really great so I'm, I'm really happy with that yeah yeah and that point you made about you know not coaching that's that's super important for a lot of coaches I think you know a lot of coaches like they just have to be the center of attention right and so you know they think that mm-hmm. their voice always has to be heard and of course there's a time for that uh, but I think you know the way that you can measure your success as a coach is how quickly you can get your players to the point where they don't need you for every little thing, you know, and, and you mm-hmm. can focus more on the bigger picture, you know, like the tactical adjustments, like you're talking about little tweaks here and there, but in terms of the gameplay and the decisions they're making, they have to be able to do that on their own. Yeah, absolutely. I think again, when it, when it comes to program for the weekend, everyone usually works on the cycle. Like our training is based on what has happened in the game, which is, I think is is really fair, right? Like if you ship, you know, you lose a game 6-0, you're going to work on probably defensive concepts to make sure that the kids feel more comfortable with it moving forward. Like, that's just a common sense thing. But I think one of the one of the big things is finding ways to stick to a plan that you have and then incorporate mm-hmm. those things. Um, and so, for instance, like if I set out, you know, uh, a philosophy or a curriculum that going through the next week, we're going to work on attacking soccer. Well, that's a perfect opportunity to work on defensive side of the game as well for these players. And so it's finding ways to make sure you stick to the regiment that you set for yourself, as well as addressing what the current needs of the team are Uh, in regards to coaching, right? Like there's, if my team was losing three zero, I'm not going to be sitting down and looking defeated, right? I'm going to get up and try and help my kids because I think it's really important that they see you fighting with them, right? I can't preach about 
giving up if I'm sitting down doing nothing. That doesn't make sense for me. Um, but then likewise, like if, you know, the score is three or four zero, you're a cruise control, give them some leeway, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, I think there's, there's a huge emphasis in the country about winning. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be eating contests. It can be, you know, elections, um, you know, grades, right. You know, it, there's just such an over basis on winning. I mean, even the amount of people that are making jokes about us having more cases of the coronavirus right now, right. Like it's, it's an infectious thing. People are addicted to working in this country and it, and it definitely affects youth soccer um, because at the end of the day, like I know based in South Texas at the, at the youth ages, if you want to have the best players by 13, when, when soccer starts to become, you know, more similar to the pro game, then you, you have to win at 11 yeah. or 12. And that's like, that's a shame. Um, but the only way you win at that age realistically, because you're, you're organizing chaos, right? There's not, there's not a tremendous amount of tactical, discipline within the kids you know there's a there's a lot you have to do as a coach to make sure they're ready and prepared um to have the ability to sit down but if you don't win then your best players get poached by some of the top clubs and so it's you know you have to find that that hard balance um and and find ways to to be successful while also maintaining you know your your own kind of uh uh you know pride to an extent that that what you're doing is correct you know like i'll admit when i first started coaching the 9v9 you know, there were things that I, I maybe asked the kids to do or maybe, you know, the way I behaved on the sideline that wasn't becoming of someone like my, like that, that I would look back at myself and be like, that's not very good. Um, but it was all geared towards the, the idea that, you know, hey, like I need I need good players. I have to win this game. If I could win this game, I might be able to pull one or two of those players who are better than what I have. And so it's it's a it's a tricky concept, definitely, for sure. Specifically, you know, I know it's I know it's pretty cutthroat in Dallas it's it's pretty similar in South Austin as well or South Texas as well yeah yeah I mean it definitely is and and for a club of our size too it makes it extra challenging and you know like kind of a point that you were just making with with the emphasis on winning and the result like everyone has to have something to look at as a a statistic or you know a a a a just result to review right so what mm-hmm. I've tried to do is redirect the parents and even the players focus towards seeing statistics that actually show our growth and our progress. So we've made a point of keeping right. stats for all of our, all of our games, Evan's team, as well as mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those stats, you know, show like the pos- passes we've completed the possession percentage, you know, shots on goal, different things like that, that tell the story of the game a little bit more. And while the results Mm -hmm. say that we, you know, lost a lot of those games, if you look deeper into those stats, we're actually the better team, you know, and that's something to be proud of. And so that's something that we're trying to do to kind of, uh, you know, take the attention away from that end result and be able to get mm-hmm. people to buy into what we're trying to do, the, the growth that we're trying to achieve, the style that we're trying to play, you know, and, and that's going to help us to be able to retain the talent that we're developing. Cause that's been a huge, you know, issue for us. The first few years is, you know, we'll develop a player. And as soon as they get to the level where they can go play D one D two, they're gone, you know? And it's like, man, when 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 are we going to get our teams to that level and we're starting to get there now it's it's mm-hmm. a slow process but 
being a small club, we don't have the luxury of just being able to take our pick from whatever player we want. You know, we got we got to really yeah. just take what we can get and put everything that we have into them. I think it's I think it's you know you you touched on it as well as redefining success. Um, and, and I think there's lots of ways to do it, especially at the youth game. Right. Nobody puts on their, their resume to colleges or to jobs that like, hey, I won a state championship mm-hmm. when I was 11. I think no one cares. Um, and while those things are, are great. Right. And they show competitive edge and that's good. But at the end of the day, like, you know, a team at, at age 10 or 11 being able to build out from the back by connecting four passes is unheard of. And if they're able to do that, that's that's a ridiculous skill and a great testament to some of the training they're going through. Right. Teams that are able to play in 2v1 situations regularly and overcome the issue, right? They don't over dribble or maybe they find a way to use their teammate to their advantage to dribble, right? Like yeah. that's development, you know, being able to outrun the kid next to you and being faster, like that's physical ability. And well, that's great and, and should be admired and, and honed and, and really put a good focus on. Um, it's a team sport, right? Eventually you're not going to be able, there's going to be a kid that's faster than you. So how can mm-hmm. you beat him with your IQ? And if those things aren't developed, you know, at an early stage, if the decision-making isn't, isn't improved early, then you're going to see someone who's going to burn out at age 16, right? When everyone finally catches them physically. And so I think it's really important that um, while there's, there's definitely resources out there, you know, apart from your own, it's, it's just, what is your kid gaining the most out of? Is it the training? Is it the coaching, right? Does he have his friends? Is he enjoying his environment? Because while it's important that kids in general are in enjoyable and safe environments at a young age. They also have to be put in positions where they're required to think, right. Where they're uncomfortable and where they're going to have a coach who's going to ask things of them, but being a good player early on, you know, how often, you know, do you get a coach that, that will criticize you just because you're the best player. And I think that's what some people don't, don't yeah. understand at times. Um, and, and it's, again, it's, it's not necessarily their fault. It's a societal thing for sure. Um, but there's definitely uh room to grow in the sense of um, people understanding, you know, when they've got a good thing yeah. going for them and, and, and good coaching. You know, and for it the seems kids. so obvious, but there's still so many people, coaches and parents alike that don't see it, you know? And like, like there's, there's coaches out there that have tons of good players, but are those players getting better? You know, it doesn't matter what level your player is at. He can be world-class, but you can still make him better. So are you making him better or is he staying the same? If he's staying the same, he's actually getting worse, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that I think is, is what needs to be prioritized. And unfortunately it's just not most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's several reasons, um, you know, for maybe people behaving the way they do. Uh, But, but I definitely feel uh, that, it's it's very important to be able to assess those situations in regards to kind of how uh you know finding the best way to move forward um and, and i think that that that's really easy to lose track of in, in terms of for coaches and parents um and, and that's because you know simple fact that money's involved uh, money complicates yeah. a lot of things yeah that's a, that's a whole nother conversation that we could have um but <laughs> uh tell me about you know kind of the you know, I know you eventually did make that switch over with Wes to, to Lone Star. Tell me about how that all went down. Uh, yeah. So just, um, I, I, I really enjoyed my time at the Texans here in Austin. Like I said, I got to work with some great people. Um, the year that I chose to kind of move over, 
Um, I was in the assistant boys director position. Um, Jose was my boss. And we had been working really hard to try and push for, you know, certain aspects of the club that we thought would take it to the next level. Um, so what had happened was our, our boys and girls top teams, we, we had expanded enough to have basically two teams in every age group, um, which is, you know, for Austin was, was really good. Um, and our top teams in each age group were, were very competitive um, with what was, the, you know, the state standard um, to be successful and challenge for state cup titles. Um, and when we had asked for adjustments or um, certain amount of funds to go to a certain area that was soccer related, uh, it was denied. Um, and, and there was a lot of pushback and we were basically fighting the same battles year in, year out. Um, and then at that point, you know, we had both kind of become disenfranchised with the amount of work we were doing, you know, to basically lead to nothing. Um, and so uh, I was lucky enough to be, you know, kind of friends and play indoor with a couple of the guys that worked there and, you know, with Wes there as well, it just kind of got him in. And, and luckily I developed a good enough reputation with the teams I coached that, um, you know, they, they kind of reached out to me again. Um, like I said, Wes, when he originally moved over, you know, they offered me a job, but I chose to stay with Jose because I felt, you know, there was more I could gain in that position. Um, and it was with teams I wanted to work with. And then the year after they came back and, and gave me a really good offer. Um, and, and I was very excited to do it, to work with specific coaches as well that I thought would push me and improve me. Um, and and I, I chose to do it. So it, it was uh, a kind of a sketchy period because when when the Texans found out that I had kind of had conversations with people, they chose to release me immediately. Um, and so I had a couple a couple month period where I was unemployed and really struggling, to be honest. But um, luckily enough, I was able to lean on a few people and they kind of got me through it. So yeah. very fortunate. So this would have been your third year at Lone Star? Fourth. Fourth okay. year at Lone Star. And, um, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, you just recently made a decision to step away from coaching for a little while. How is that, you know, like telling your parents and the players <laughs> that you're working with, how did they take it? Um, it was on my end, it was it was very difficult for some teams. Um, so I had an 03 and an 04 team that I'd had since I got to Lone Star. Um, so I had them for three years, which kind of, you know, the club's policy was to rotate teams every two years. Um, and, you know, due to the parent demand and really the success the teams had, I got to keep those kids. Um, those conversations yeah. were incredibly difficult, uh, simply because like, uh, I've, I personally invested a lot in those kids, um, and their opinions meant a great deal to me. And I did not want them to feel like I was forsaking them um, because of them. Because, like I said, they were successful. They they won some big games. They won some tournaments, you know, came close to winning state championships. Um, and I was really proud of the, kind of the product they had and, and what we'd all worked to to achieve. Um, you know, and then on the other end, there were teams that I had just joined. Um, you know, I had a, a little 2010 pre-DA team this year that, that played up. Um, and that was some of the most fun coaching I've ever had. Um, just just great young kids, hungry for the game. And it was very difficult to leave those kids. I'd grown really attached to them, think of them all like nephews. Um, but obviously I still keep tabs on them. Um, and so in general, that process was really hard um, for myself because like I said, I love my job. But like I, I was lucky enough to work with some talented players and kids who were really passionate about the game and that I thought shared similar views to how, you know, I, I wanted to, to the team to perform and, and what they wanted to get out of it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the decision I made was for myself um, and, and my yeah. family. 
you know, because up until that point, I'd, I'd, I'd only made decisions for the kids. Um, and, and that might sound a bit, a bit wrong, but there's, there's no coach that takes up coaching that does that thinks about themselves. Um, you know, in my opinion, they're in general, their, their, their goal is to help others. Um, and that was definitely my case. And so I was really proud of what, you know, my kids look like um, after the amount of time I had with them. But at the end of the day, you know, I had to make a decision for myself and leave. And luckily, you know, I, you know, there was only maybe one or two parents that were very frustrated with myself, but, you know, from the, for the majority of the teams, you know, I got a round of applause. Everyone said, congratulations. You know, we totally understand, you know, the sacrifices you've made for, for our kids and we appreciate, they appreciate it. Um, but it was really hard talking yeah, to the players about it. Um, might've shed a tear for, for one of the two, two teams. Um, just because, um, like I said, I care, I care a lot about those kids. Um, I still check. Yeah, and I'm sure that you're going to stay a part of their life. You know, you still live in Austin. Your 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 wife just recently moved down there with you, so you'll still be able to stay in touch with them. And I'm sure you'll still do skills for them and things like that too, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to get some of the older boys I had added to my men's league team because they're good players. So I need to kind of bump up uh, our winning (laughs) stats, to be honest. So it'll uh, we'll we'll keep an eye on, on all of them. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think with the pre-DA teams I managed to have in the time, you know, the, the goal, you know, for those boys is they want to play pro. And now we have, you know, Austin FC here and we're seeing, you know, it's uh, it's pretty crazy to see some of the kids you, you coach that they make those teams. Um, it's and it's it's, you know, looking back, you know, two years, two years now. Um, it's it's crazy to see the kids that are making it. And, and it's and it's really heartwarming knowing that. You know, well, I might have not been the biggest impact, and I'm not saying I'm solely the reason they made it, um, because they, you know, to be in that position, you have to have individual ability as well. But I played, you know, a percentage First, of a percentage part, you know, to them getting there, and that's yeah, that's 100%. great. So, what's next for you, man? What, what, do, where do you see yourself in the next year, five years, ten years? Do you ever see yourself coming back to coaching? Um probably not within the youth game. Um, and that's, that's not necessarily, um, I don't, I don't mean in a negative, just the way the industry is set up in general, it, you know, club coaching is just becoming more demanding. Um, and that's, you know, partially due to, you know, the amount of money people are paying for it. Um, you know, they're, they, they feel they're entitled to more and, and, you know, in terms of any business model, like, yeah, like your consumers, you know, kind of have less, you know, the last say. And so it makes sense. Um, but I just felt that at times, specifically working when you were working with, you know, kind of top players, it was really difficult to be honest with them. And I felt at times that I was treading, treading a line um, that I thought I should be able to cross. Um, and, and it was never with cruel intentions or anything like that. But I should be able to tell, you know, a, to be honest, an 11 year old boy when I, when I think he plays poorly um, because he has the aspirations is what they told me that you know, he wants to be a really high level player and he wants to be held to a different standard. So when we go X amount of games without scoring goals or getting assists or really having any impact and we can only rely on your effort, right? Like if we're being honest, moving forward, if you don't produce, then you don't get to play where you want to play. Um, And that's not, you know, a threat to anyone. It's just a reality. I mean, there's so many people that have been left by the wayside because they didn't play well in the one game they needed to. And so it's, it's soccer can be really cool. Um, and I was getting to the point where I was working with players who were going to be put in those environments. And when it came to expressing that opinion, it wasn't received well. Um, and, you know, it's not like I went and yelled at kids and things like that. I, I don't do that. Um, but 
you know, I, I that was when I realized that I, I'm one person's opinion um, from yeah. being a good coach or not again. Um, and it's, you know, it's, I just don't think that the amount of energy that, you know, I invested over time was really worth that. Like just that, that flick of the switch. Um, so in general, you soccer now, I'd probably, I'd be very surprised if I came back to it. Um, although I won't lie, I do miss coaching. Um, uh, I could see myself doing, you know, college soccer. Um, but obviously the, you know, the, the, problems that come with that are obviously there's obviously there's stuff I don't know about it um I only got a glimpse of it working at St. Edwards um but you know job security is a big thing for myself and and I don't anticipate wanting to leave Austin so we'll see what what kind of the next five years brings right now you know like I just started in the new career that I'm in and, and I'm looking forward to improving in it um and, and not necessarily mastering it but getting myself to a very uh you know good level uh, in the field and uh, hopefully some good things will come for that. And then, you know, you never know when, when a family member will pop up here or there. So Love it, man. Yeah. Love it, man. Um, so looking back kind of on your coaching journey and even, I guess your playing journey too, what are the biggest challenges you faced and, and what did you do to overcome them? Um, I think the the most recurring challenge um, was being told I wasn't good enough. Um, I think that goes in in every single field. For instance, as a player, right? You know, I had a lot of difficulty when I got cut from schools, uh, from scouting lists, or uh, I got, I I was in the ODP regional pool back when ODP was um, really prominent. Um, And I got to the national pool and I was let go. Um, And I felt I was better than some of the players that were asked to stay. you know, and, and instead of kind of packing it up and going, you know, I, I kind of, you know, don't get me wrong, there were times I had a breakdown, but like I, I kind of put my, my nose to the ground and yeah. just kind of got on with it. Um, and so same thing with coaching. I had a, I had a boss who, who didn't like me. Um, and looking back, I can understand why, um, but he didn't have a lot of time for, for a young coach, had no interest in, in necessarily mentoring and shaping someone to be really good. He just wanted to get rid of me. Um, but the problem was, he felt I wasn't good enough, but results showed otherwise. And so it's understanding that there's going to be people who, who have opinions of you um, and it's up to you to prove them right or wrong. Uh, and so it's very important that, that you understand, you know, right is only relative, you know, to your opinion. And so I think it's very important that if you feel you are righteous in your cause, that you push through any sort of adversity. If you feel like you have the ability to push through and, and, and make an impact at a certain level, a certain thing, then you have to work to make sure you can prove yourself or prove other people wrong and yourself right. Um, and ultimately, there's there's things that will stack up against you. There's certain things that, that aren't, you know, overcomable. Um, and, and that's just a reality. But how can you, uh, you know, leave that situation realizing you, you gave your best effort? And that was always something that I tried to do. No one, no one will ever accuse me of not working hard. Um, as a coach or as a player. And, and I made, I made damn sure of that, that when I left that people would feel my impact, um, whether as a teammate, as a player, as a coach, as a friend, um, that, that I could be relied upon. I think that's, that's something that that's really brilliant. Forward. So when people face these kinds of challenges, you know, maybe, uh, uh, similar challenges or maybe completely different, why do you think that they're not able to overcome them? Um, Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Um, you know, you never really know the situation you're in um, until 
after. Uh, I was lucky enough that in a lot of the situations where I was, you know, put in adversity, I had friends and family who were always very honest um, and who, who challenged my thought process. Um, so I got to particularly harp on my brother. Um, my brother is very good at telling me, contradicting something I say. Um, so if I say like, I think it's this, this, and this, he'll immediately argue it just to make sure I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm hundred percent certain. And, you know, ha- having conversations with himself and other knowledgeable coaches who are willing to tell you that like, Hey, I think you're wrong. Um, to really help you understand why that might be, or why you might have to fight a bit harder or why you yeah. actually might be right. Um, it's, it's really important that you surround yourself with people who aren't invested in just your success in the sense that your success brings them success. They're invested in your success because mm-hmm. they want it for you because they realize that, that you work hard enough to do it and make, making sure that you surround yourself with the right people. I can't tell you how, how often I still talk to the guys I played with in college and the same thing, like, Hey, you know, some of the people I hung out with then yeah. I don't even talk to you now, you know? And, and it's, it's really important that, you know, you put yourself, you, you're a product of your environment. Um, and if, if you do not surround yourself with people in a successful environment, in a conscious environment that, that recognize that they can be wrong, you will always have difficulty in finding what is the right, right way for yourself. Um, and so surround yourself with people you can lean on. It'll tell you the truth. They'll knock your ass down, but then, then they're definitely willing to help you get back up. And so I've had a, I've had a lot of those people. Um, and I've been fortunately a decent enough judge of character, in my opinion, that, that I've been, been able to have conversations with people like that. And so it's, um, I said, I'm very fortunate. I, I won't stress that enough. Like I'm very fortunate to have the resources I did moving forward in coaching. Uh, like I would not, not have been as good as I am without it. Um, while there was, you know, yes, there's a, a small level of ability that I had as, as being able to read the game and things like that. But, you know, the people I surrounded myself with were the reason that I was any sort of decent at anything um, in regards to coaching, because without that, I, I had a template of nothing. Man, if I had to give you a grade for an answer, that would be an A+. Plus. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sean. That's the best grade I would have gotten in college, that's for sure. So I'm going to put you on the hot seat with this one, though. What is your definition of greatness? Go ahead. Oof. Uh, someone's ability to inspire others. Um, and I mean that in the sense of, um, in terms of coaching, greatness is, is creating more great things. So I always thought, um, I, I hate to admit it, but Doug Elder and, and specifically Doug Elder, sorry, um, and Butch are, are great examples of, of, I think, what are great coaches. And it's in the sense of how many people have they coached that went on to become coaches. Um, that, that there is a, a reference point for those guys who, who were successful coaches in their own right. And it's because of some of the training they got there. Right. Um, I think greatness inspires greatness. You are only a good manager or a good coach. If you inspire someone who will go and teach it to other people as well. So greatness for me is, is someone who obviously leads by example, but inspires others to do great things. Um, and it can be within a, a certain field path. Like I said, there's, there's lots of, uh, you know, Nowadays, there's there's easy ways to slip up, but there's always uh, people being held under a microscope. And and I think you know the, the Michael Jordan thing is is uh, immense. Like I mean, you see you see all the stuff he he's gone through when he was a player, and then you know they realize like what were his main problems? Like oh, he was just really competitive. <laughs> like, that was his main problem. So I mean, 
greatness, greatness inspires greatness and it pushes people. Um, and you know, when people come back and say like, Hey, you know what? He, he might've been, he might've been hard, but man, did, yeah. did we work for it? And did, you know, did we want to, to do well? And, and we did well. So I think it's, I think that's, that's probably the simplest way. Like greatness inspires. Yeah. More and there's just so many different absolutely. types of greatness too, you know, like, you know, you just absolutely like just you saying that kind of made me think about how maybe I was inspired to be a coach by, uh, our college coach and maybe it was for me I can say like maybe it was more you know what do I want to 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 make different about myself to have a different type of impact on the players that I'm able to to interact with to you know to to reach on a daily basis as opposed to what I got from the coaches that that I had you know what I mean so like that can still yeah, that can Absolutely. still be viewed as inspiration, right? And and it's just a different type of inspiration, and that's mm -hmm. still greatness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I'll be the first person to say that there's, you know, there's difficulty in college programs at time with people managing, yeah. you know, with man management. You know, you move, you, you're moving, you don't know necessarily all the time the, the types of environments people are looking for, like, I was someone who needed to be praised. And when I was hollered at in front of people, yeah. it really demoralized me. Right. Like, but once you get to that level, you have to be able to deal with it. And that's not necessarily a right or a wrong, but what it does remind me is like, I, I, like I always would try not to embarrass kids in front of others. Right. Like I would always pull them to the side and speak to them just because yeah. I know that I dislike it. However, there's a time and place for everything. If someone continually makes the same mistake, right. Or does the same kind of silly thing in training depending on the level, like I'll, yeah. I'll embarrass you in front of your peers. I'll like, I'll call you out in front of your peers because if that's the only way that you realize like, Hey, this is frustrating. And then what it gets to is it creates that efficacy within the group. Like when someone makes a mistake, right. It's finding the, the, the right wording, obviously that you have to work on with kids specifically is that, you know, how can I demand more of someone without being insulting? Like, Hey, you're better than that. That's the same mm -hmm. thing as saying, Hey, that's not good enough. Right. But it's just a much, right. much different way of saying it, but we're definitely products of, of of the good and bad of our environment i had some good coaches i had some coaches yeah. that i didn't think were as good but i've pulled pieces from everything i can tell you right now me and my college coach didn't have a great relationship as as a player coach but as a coach to coach we're great and i learned a tremendous amount about defensive structure from that coach he made me a good defensive coach with it. there's no shadow of a doubt in, in my mind about that so but I, I totally totally agree with what you're saying we pull bits and parts of pieces um, and greatness can be inspired through positive and negative Absolutely. things for sure so what's one piece of advice or, or just piece of information that if you had whenever you were just getting into to, to playing or maybe you were just getting into college or maybe just getting into coaching that would have helped you the most had you known it then? Oof. That's a tough one. Um, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably – probably the best one specifically yeah. as a player um you don't know uh, and the, the reality is like i think one of the one of the firm firm beliefs i have is you don't know what you don't know especially when you're young um i had no idea you know why why people saw me in a light that they did in regards to playing as as from coaches to player like i, I couldn't rationalize behind it and that wasn't necessarily my fault um, I just didn't understand to the level that I do now, you know, looking back. Um, I would probably say that definitely. Um, as a coach, um, 
I would probably early on would look for more solutions within the players um, in the sense that like, what are you seeing that maybe I'm not? Um, because I always found, you know, when I was a younger coach, I hopped in training a lot because it helped me see the problems as a player. I, like I had, I had, it was very easy for me to see it um, when I hopped in and played with them versus now, you know, like I can still do the same thing, but I prefer to coach from the outside looking in, but, but take their opinions into account um, and, and run it more in a, in a, an environment that like, Hey, we're, you know, we're in this together at times, because I, I think at times early on, you know, I, I maybe didn't do a good enough job of managing the players' emotions. Um, and I was solely worried about the end result um, because I felt pressure, unnecessary pressure um, to perform. And, and, and I kind of, you know, didn't give them the best of the experience that they could have had. So I'd probably say, yeah, definitely you're wrong as a player. Um, and as a coach, just, yeah, be mindful of everything around you in regards to the players' personality. That's for good sure. Good stuff, man. So. Good stuff. Well, we're getting close to the end of our time here, but man, it has been a pleasure. It's been so good to catch up with you. I really, you know, wish you all the best in, in your future endeavors. Um, you know, if you ever do decide to get back in coaching, uh, of course, you know, stay in touch. Like we definitely want to, you know, continue to build these, these relationships within the soccer network. So um, what's one last message that, that you'd like to leave people with for your episode? Uh, it is not a sprint. Mm. It is a marathon. Um, and I mean that in the sense of development does not necessarily happen overnight. Um, just like physical, well, actually physical development can't happen overnight, I guess. Um, but the, the development of a, a good soccer player takes time. Um, and it takes people who are trustworthy and who, who can set out a good plan um, and who care for your kids. Um, because it's very easy in this industry and specifically these regions that we live in that People lose track of why they're actually coaching, whether it's for themselves or for someone else. Um, but it's very important to to really make sure that, you know, the most important thing is your, your kid is enjoying himself. If they don't enjoy soccer because you put too much pressure on them to win, to score, to, you know, whatever it might be, um, then you can easily burn that kid out. And so trust the process, trust their judgment, trust your coach's judgment, um, and don't don't reflect any sort of you know negative feelings onto your, your kids. Let them formulate their own decisions and be able to communicate effectively with your coach and trust that their plan, you know, far, far exceeds, you know, one year, right? It's, it's a two year, three year plan for, for each kid. Um, and no one wants to see those kids succeed more than the coach. That's for, that's for absolutely wonderful. Sure. wonderful. There you have it guys. Thanks again for listening. Aiden, how can people get in touch with you if they want to, you know, learn more about you or just connect with you for whatever reason? Oh man, I'm on Twitter. I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, you know, just Aiden Hannon. Um, I should pop up right away. Um, regards to email, it's, you know, Aiden Hammond at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, like, I really enjoy talking about soccer, so I have no no problem hopping on a phone. You know, I've got opinions. You know, they mean as much to to you as just to the next person. So it's just um, if you have questions, I'm always open for for dialogue, um, and I'm always available for a chat. So don't don't hesitate yeah. to reach out. Um, but yeah, no, always always available. For, awesome. For well, you've been a talk. great guest, man. We'll definitely have you on the show again sometime in the future, and. We'll think of a, a topic that maybe you want to touch on specifically and, and we'll, we'll 
Fire away, man. So thanks again for your time, Aiden. Absolutely, Sean. Thanks so much for having me, and, and thanks for for what you're doing. I know you're you're doing what's best for the kids, um, and and that's that comes few and far between sometimes. So I'm I'm really you know proud of you as a former teammate and friend, and, and I wish you guys nothing but success. And like I said, I'm always a resource if if anyone needs it, uh, specifically for you, man. So best of luck in the future. Best of luck to your kids. Keep on. Thank you, brother. Uh, that really going. means a lot, guys. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time. Peace.